You ready to get into God's word this morning? So as we always do, I'm going to have you guys stand, if you're able to, and we're going to read God's word together. I'll start, I'll read a verse, and you guys are going to read a couple. I'll read one, you guys read one, and we'll go from there. So we're in Philippians chapter 3 this week. We'll start in verse 12. Not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this in mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. So again, welcome to everybody. Welcome to those listening online. Uh, Before we get started, would you guys pray with me? I'm going to pray, but I'm going to ask you guys to do something this morning. I'm going to ask you guys to allow God to speak to you, to invite him to speak to you this morning, because the God of heaven and earth wants to speak to you. He wants to meet with you this morning. So as I pray, would you invite him to speak to you? So dear Father, we thank you that you are in this place, that you so desire to speak to us, God, that you desire to meet with us this morning. We want to meet with you. So Holy Spirit, have your way. Speak to us through your word. Open our eyes to see wonderful things. Open our hearts to to understand. Open our our minds to receive all that you have for us from your word. In your name, amen. Amen. So many years ago, probably, I don't know how many years, it's been a long time. Uh, My wife and I, I took my wife up to the San Bernardino Mountains, as we often do. And we went up to Green Valley Lake, which if you look on uh, the website for Green Valley Lake, it's like the jewel of the San Bernardino Mountains. It's, it, somebody said, yes, we got an amen, all right. Yeah, it's a beautiful little spot, and, and yes, yeah, see, there's a lake. Yeah, I think it's more like a pond. It's not that big, guys. It's, it's a beautiful pond, though. It's a beautiful little spot, and uh, we were in Green Valley Lake, and I said, you know what would be great? We should take a boat out on Green Valley Lake. It'd be amazing, and so we went, and, and you could rent some boats. The only boats they had, unfortunately, were rowboats, which I'd never used before. I'd been in a canoe, but I'm like, it's the same concept, right? Paddle, boat, same thing. So it's not the same, though, actually. It's not the same at all. There's two of these oars, and you have to do them in the same. So like, I'm not that coordinated, two things at once. Men multitasking, you know, it's, it's not a good idea. So we're, we're out on the boat. We're having a nice time. I'm, I'm trying to have a nice time rowing along, you know. And then the wind kicks up a little bit. I don't know if you guys have been on a boat, when the wind is coming, it makes it a little bit more difficult. And so I'm, I'm just trying to keep this thing going, and, but we're having a nice time. We're enjoying ourselves. We're rowing out on beautiful Green Valley Pond. And then all of a sudden, I hear the voice, the voices of some local residents of Green Valley Lake, who I thought maybe they'd want to encourage me in my efforts. That's not exactly what they wanted to do, though, because I heard the voices of several people shouting, you're going the wrong way. (laughs) Apparently, I was rowing backwards. But, you know, I mean, does it really matter if you're rowing forwards or backwards as long as you're getting around the lake and having a nice time? Um, You know, and so ultimately, I didn't care what these people said. You know, they were probably drinking, fishing, having a great time, you know, heckling me, making, making fun of me. But I didn't care. I, I wasn't in it to, to be the best rower. I didn't ever care to row again. I wasn't like going to, I wasn't in a race with anybody. None of that mattered. The point, uh, none of those things mattered. The whole point was for me to spend time with my, my wife, who I love. I didn't care about the form I had. I didn't care about if I was going backwards. I cared that I was in the lake and the person in the boat was my wife. I got to spend time with her. That was the whole point. When it comes to our faith, there's a whole bunch of voices that are shouting from the shore saying, you're going the wrong way, or this is what it's about, that's what it's about. 
I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and if you guys were around at that time, there was this proliferation of Christian organizations out there, great Christian organizations with great missions and uh, great, great things that they wanted to accomplish. But there were these voices that were shouting, this is what faith is about. This is what Christianity is about. And, and don't get me wrong, all these were great organizations. They all had great things to say, but they were voices that were shouting out. One of them, the first one you guys probably heard, it was called Focus on the Family. Great organization. They were focused on the family, which is a good thing. Um, and they had lots of great material, lots of really helpful material on raising kids and things like that. But what you get out of that is that Christianity is all about raising good families. Now, that, that's a great thing. We want to raise good families, but maybe that's not the purpose of following Christ. And then there was another organization that came around in 1990. Football coach Bill McCartney started this organization called Promise Keepers. Anybody remember Promise Keepers? I think they're still around, maybe. Yeah, promise keepers, they'd fill these stadiums with men who are, we're here to keep our promises. We're here to, to be men of honor and integrity. We're going to keep our promises to our wives and our families. These are good things, right? Yeah, we want to do that. But is that the point? Is that the point of our faith? And then when I was in high school, uh, another campaign came out called True Love Waits. Anybody remember True Love Waits? It was all about purity and about, uh, you know, uh, getting teenagers, Christian teenagers, to be pure until they were married and not engage in, in sexual activity. And there was all these purity conferences, and people were running around with purity rings, and it was, it was a whole thing. Some, some people remember that. There was this kind of courting movement that came out. Some people were like, yeah, I was in that. <laughs> Is purity a good thing? Absolutely. Do we want our teenagers to be pure before God? Absolutely. Is that the point, though? Then there was an, another organization, another uh, individual um, that came out, Josh McDowell, apologetics, knowing how to defend your faith. Are those important things? Yes, they're important things. They're good things. But is that the point? As Christians, we can listen to all kinds of voices and get all kinds of ideas about faith and what it's all about. It's about having godly families. It's about keeping our promises. It's about defending our faith. It's about walking in perfect purity. And all these voices are shouting, this is what it's about. These are good things. They're godly things. Problem is, I know a lot of people who aren't good at any of them. Um, in fact, some of us are pretty, are not, not so good at all. I mean, some of us, our families are pretty messed up. So if, if, if our goal is in Christian faith is to have good families and our families are not good, where does that leave us? Um, some of us, you know, uh, when we think about purity, you know, we're not that pure. We, we make mistakes, we've stumbled. If that's all what our Christian faith is about, where does that leave us? If, if Christian faith is about defending your faith perfectly and knowing all these things that you should believe, but some of us can't even string a sentence together. I mean, you have, you have trouble telling your wife that you love her. You're like, yeah, I like you. you know? I mean, like we can't, we're not there. How do we do, you know, where does that leave us? So what is faith all about? What is the goal? What's the prize in this race we're running. What's the point anyways? This morning as we dive back into Philippians chapter 3, we're going to take a look at the point of our faith and the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. Philippians 3 opens up with Paul silencing the voices shouting from the shoreline. At that time in, in church history, there was this huge movement of these Jews who were trying to infiltrate the church with these ideas of getting people to become essentially completed Jews or super Jews, where they would follow all the laws, they'd be circumcised. And this was a major issue in the church in Acts 15, the Jerusalem council, the leaders of the church got together and they 
sent this letter to all the churches who are outside of Israel and said, hey, if you're not a Jew, you don't have to follow these things. This is not what it's about. Yet this idea kept coming up and it kept creeping up. And so you hear it oftentimes referenced in the epistles. And so Paul calls, calls these guys dogs and evil workers. And then he goes on to say in Philippians 3, 7, I once thought these things were valuable too, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And he says this in verse 10, and I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Paul, the most religious guy in all of history, he talked about, we talked about this last week, he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, the one thing that I need that, that I haven't completely got yet is I want to know Christ and his power in my life. While the voices of Paul's day were shouting from the shoreline, it's all about purity and moral perfection and you have to do these things. He says, no, it's about who's in the boat. It's about Christ. I want to know him. I want to know his power, not my own. So this is where we pick up our text today. And I want to read this text again, but I want to read it from the message, which is it's kind of a translation, but it's a, it's a way of explaining it maybe a little simpler form. So let me read this from the message. I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made, but I'm well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and I'm running. I'm not turning back. Paul rightly saw that the goal of our faith, it's not knowledge, it's not purity, it's not perfection. The goal is Christ himself. Wait, some of you are saying, wait, wait, wait a second. We're supposed to be pure, though. We're supposed to, doesn't God want us to be perfect? Doesn't God want us to know all these truths and be able to articulate them? He does. All these things are important. They're wonderful. They're necessary. They're part of our faith. But ultimately, like Paul, the one thing that we know isn't a thing. It's a person. It's Christ himself. And Paul, the most religious guy in all of, of the scripture, says, all that stuff, I've, I've counted that loss because I want to know Christ. And he says, I'm not there yet. I want to know him. Jesus said something very interesting in John 5, 39, 40. So this is Jesus. He says this, you search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life, but the scriptures, they point to me, yet you refuse to come to me and receive this life. We can think that Bible knowledge or purity or promise keeping or any of these things will give us life, but Jesus, it's not those things, it's me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. All of God's word, all of it from the beginning to the end is designed to point us to Jesus that we might know the one who gives us life, who gives us access to his power to live pure, to live holy, to live rightly. In John 17, 3, Jesus puts any debate to rest when he says this, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is it. It's to know me. To know me, that's it. What does it mean, though? What in the world does that mean? What does it mean to know Christ? This seems pretty abstract. It seems pretty difficult to understand. How do you know Jesus? How do you know God? Paul said he wanted to know Christ. What was he talking about? What kind of knowledge? The Greek word used by both Jesus in John 17 and here in Philippians 3 for know is the same. Both Jesus and Paul use the same word. It's the Greek word kinosko, 
Not to bore you with some linguistic details, but I think this is actually kind of important. The problem is it doesn't make a lot of sense in the English language. This, when we say, I know, I know my mom, I know my dog, I know my job, I know lots of things, right? It makes a lot more sense in Spanish, actually. Hay algo en español antes aquí? Do we have any Spanish speakers here? Yeah, yeah, we do, yeah. So in Spanish, there's two major words for to know that, that are very commonly used. The first one is saber, which is to know facts and to know information, facts and information. The second one is conocer, to be intimately familiar with a person or a place. For example, I, I, I saber math, kind of. I know a little bit about math. I know facts and some information about it. But I conocer my wife. I know her. It's interesting, though, the Greek word kinosko is the actual root for the, the Spanish word conocer, to know intimately someone. When it comes to knowing Jesus, we can describe our knowledge of him in the same way. Jesus could be somebody who we know facts and information about. Oh, yeah, I know he's a savior. I know he did this and that. But we don't know him. Jesus can be someone we know and believe in intellectually. For example, like Abraham Lincoln. Down in Rutherlands, we have the Lincoln Shrine. Anybody ever been there before? Beautiful little place. You can learn all about Abraham Lincoln. I think they have some hair from his, from his head there. They have all these little artifacts you can learn about Lincoln. I can intellectually believe Abraham Lincoln was a real person. He really was our president. He really did all these things. But I don't know him. I don't know him at all. I never will. Both Jesus and Paul said, though, we need a different kind of knowledge about him. We need to kinosko Christ. We need to konosero Christ to be intimately, personally familiar with him. That's what Paul said. I can't everything lost because I want to know him. Kinosko, konosero. The problem is we can love religion. We can love Christian values or Christian society. We can love purity. We can love morality. We can love the Bible even without knowing or loving Christ. Our knowledge of Jesus can be limited to facts and information. The strongest rebuke that Jesus ever gave in the Bible was Matthew 7, 23. He said, depart from me, for I never knew you. In Revelations 2, 4, he says to the church of Ephesus, I have this against you that you left your first love. Moral purity, perfection, religion, it's not enough. Knowledge isn't enough. This morning, Jesus is inviting us, because he's good, to not just know facts and information, but to have a personal, intimate knowledge of him. And more than an invitation, Jesus is telling us a secret of where the life can be found. The other day at work, we had a potluck. We had some food at work. And whenever there's food at work, it's a good thing, right? We had this potluck, and I came back to where I was sitting for the day, and I noticed that some people hadn't had the food. I was like, hey, there's some food over there. It's good food. There's some dessert. You want to have some of that? Jesus saying, hey, guys, I'm going to point you to the life. I'm going to show you where it's at. It's in me. So some of us hear this, and we think, I can't do that. I don't know how to know Jesus. Or if we're honest, we're not even sure we want to. There was a story in the, in the New Testament of this father who was asking Jesus to, to help his son who was being tormented by this demonic oppression. And Jesus says, well, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child crowded and said to him with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. The reality is that many of us if we're honest, we're like this man. We want to know God, but there's a part of us that doesn't really. It's just honest. We have some faith, but we also have some doubts. 
we're walking contradictions sometimes, and we know Jesus a little, but not as much as we want to. If that's you, you're in really good company, because that was Paul. That was his whole point in this passage. Paul wasn't perfect, but he knew where the life was, and he knew that it was in Jesus. He says in verse 12, I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I've made it, but I'm well on my way, reaching out to Christ who so wondrously reached out to me. So the question for us this morning is, where do you start? How do you get to know Jesus? The good news is that Jesus does two beautiful things for us. He does two beautiful things for us. He does many more, but we're going to talk about two today. First one is that he invites us to know him with this upward call that Paul is talking about, this call to come up, to experience that life that we need and that we so desire. And then it says he gives us the impulse or the desire to want him know more, to want him know more. Uh, A few weeks ago, Pastor Rod talked about this in Philippians 2.13. God who works both in us, both to will and to do according to his pleasure. Did you guys know that God is drawing you, even now? He's drawing you, even now, and giving you the desire to follow after him. In John 6.44, Jesus said this, No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him. This God at work, he's so good, he invites us and then he draws us along that we might desire him. Some of you, even now, you feel this drawing, this impulse. You're you're hearing the words that I'm saying and God is working in you and you're thinking, I want that. I don't, maybe I don't get that, but I want that. I don't completely understand that, but I want that. That's God drawing you, giving you that impulse to follow after him. If you've never followed Jesus, if you don't even know who this guy is, Maybe you feel that a little bit. If you've known him like Paul for a long time, maybe you feel that even a little bit more, and you're like, yeah, I want some more of that. I want some more of that. A.W. Tozer was this prominent Christian pastor and author. Here he is, the man himself, um, who was someone who was passionate about knowing God. This was the pursuit of his life. He wrote this classic book called The Pursuit of God, and he says this. This was a prayer that he, that he wrote. Oh, God. I've tasted of thy goodness and has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I'm painfully conscious of my need for further grace and I'm ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, that I may know thee indeed. You see, Tozer had this sense of divine discontent. He was not satisfied with the amount of Christ that he had. And he wasn't satisfied. He was disappointed in his own lack of desire. Every man and woman in the Bible had this sense of divine discontent. Moses was someone who, the Bible said, the Lord spoke to him face to face as a man talks to a friend. Yet Moses bade God, show me your glory. I want to see you. David, a man after God's own heart, wrote these words in Psalm 63.1. Oh God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. Mary Magdalene came to where Jesus was weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. And she wiped them at the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. You see, knowing Jesus so often begins with a sense of her own lack, of her own divine discontent. This discontent wells up in us, and we know we're far from truly knowing him like Paul. The good news is this. 
If you have a divine discontent, if you know how spiritually poor you are, if you mourn over your own condition, if you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, Jesus will satisfy your soul. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3 through 6. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you know that you have nothing, Jesus will give you everything of himself. God is drawing us, even now, to himself. He's putting in some of us this divine discontent. You feel this tension in you. I know. I know it's not right. I want more of him. What do we do with that, though? Tozer said, the impulse to pursue God originates with God, but the outworking of that impulse is our following hard after him. And that's what Paul says. I'm going to pursue this call. I'm going to follow hard after Christ. Paul uses the language of an athlete, of a runner in a race who stretches themselves out to reach the finish line. Brethren, I don't count myself to to have apprehended, but one thing I do, I forget those things that are behind and I reach forward to those things which are ahead and I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul used these athletic metaphors before in 1 Corinthians 9.24. He said, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you might win or obtain it. If Christ is our goal, we have to stretch ourselves out that we might know him. We have to go for it. This is what it looked like in Tozer's life. Tozer, was a, he would arise, arrive in his office three hours before he had to start. He would change his pants because he didn't want to wrinkle them because he was going to be on his knees for the next three hours. He would be on his knees for three hours praying, and pretty soon Tozer would be on his face before the Lord. Tozer devoured God's word. He devoured everything he could read about knowing God. He wrote books about it. He thought about it. He spoke about it. He wrote about it. He thought about it. He had this insatiable thirst to know God. And yet he said, like Paul, I'm not quite there yet. In verse 15 through 16, Paul recommends a rule of life to the church to pursue Jesus. He says, forget those things that are behind and reach forward to those things that are ahead. And I press towards that goal. Therefore, let as many of us as mature have this in mind. If anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the same degree we've already attained, let us walk by this rule. So Paul's rule for life was simple. His rule was this, forget and follow. Forget everything and follow Christ. Forget everything else in the pursuit of knowing Christ and follow hard after him. Forget your success. Forget your past experience with God, positive or negative. Forget your fears. Forget your ambition. Forget your failures. Forget your sin. Forget what has been done to you. Put it beside and follow after Christ. So what does it look like to press towards or follow hard after God? I'm going to take you guys on a little bit of a journey. Imagine I took you to Jesus' house. I'm going to introduce you to this guy. And uh, he apparently lives in an English cottage because this is what my wife would choose. So I thought she'd appreciate this one. Um, yeah. So I, I bring you to the gate of, of Jesus' house, and I like to call it the, the gate of thanksgiving. Psalms 100 says, enter into his gates with, with praise, into his courts with praise. As we 
come before Christ, as we thank him for who he is, as we thank him for what he's done, as we consider him, as we remember all the things that he's done for us, we begin to have an awareness of who he is. And the gate swings wide open. Then we find ourselves walking into the garden. I like to call it the garden of God's word. And every flower and every plant reminds us of of the gardener, the one who made it. Jesus said in Hebrews that the volume of the book is written about me. From A to Z, from beginning to end, it's all about me. If you guys have trouble understanding scripture, here's the key. Jesus said, it's all about me. As we go through the garden of God's word, that's the only place. There's no shortcuts. You have to go through that garden if you're going to meet Christ because his word speaks about him. It teaches us who he is and what he's like. Everything in the word is about him. From the garden, we make our way into the house of prayer. If you're going to know Jesus, you have to spend time both talking to him and listening to him. This past few weeks uh, in Rooted, we've done our prayer experience and it's been such an awesome time to spend time focused in prayer and, and not just talk to God all the things that we need to tell him, but to hear what he has to say. If we're going to know Christ, you have to spend time in the house of prayer. You have to spend time both talking and listening to him. From there, we go out the back door into the, what I like to call the field of faith. As we go in the field with Jesus, he says, hey, will you work with me? Would you go out? The, the labor, there's a, lot, there's a lot to be done. Would you work with me? Growing up, my dad, uh, who's here today, was a, a painter. He painted houses. And it would usually be on the weekend. He, I was a little kid. He'd take, take me with him. And I'd paint the corners and probably screw it up. And then I'd play in the backyard or do whatever. I, uh, you know, I just hung out with my dad while he was working. Jesus says, will you come with me? I've given you gifts. I want, to, I want you to be used with me. As we work with Jesus, we get to know who he is and what he's like as we work with him. And then we've been working a while, and he says, I want to take you to get a drink. He takes us to the fountain of forgiveness, I like to call it. Because as we experience the forgiveness of Christ, we, we see how beautiful he is. And when you've experienced his forgiveness, you can give it out to others. And then we end the day at the Feast of Fellowship. As two or more of us are gathered in his name, he's there in the midst. He's in that place. And as you guys are here today, you're learning who Jesus is from the people around you from Nate, from Taps, from Pastor Steve, from the people in your rows. They're teaching us who Jesus is. You see, we get to know, we really know Christ when we do these things. When we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and praise, when we spend time in his word looking for him, when we dedicate ourselves to prayer to both speak and listen to him, when we step out in faith to work with him, when we drink from the fountain of forgiveness and dole it out that living water to others, and when we feast and fellowship with others, that's when we get to know Christ. So this is a beautiful metaphor, uh, but to know Christ requires that we forget and follow. To set everything aside, to make pursuing Christ the focus of our faith. Tozer said this, that the man who would truly know God must give his time to him. We can hear all this and say, that's great. That's, that's wonderful. I'm inspired. But if you're going to know God, you have to give time to him. Time to these things. There's no, there's no other way to do it. First Timothy 4, 15 through 16, Paul urges Timothy to give himself to these things. Or the message puts it this way, cultivate these things, immerse yourself in them. The people, then people will see your maturity right before their eyes. If we're going to go, grow, it's not through moral, morality and, and purity and perfection, it's in knowing Christ. That's how we're going to become mature, and then he will make us 
pure and perfect and moral. So let us cultivate these things in our life. Let us be immersed in the pursuit of knowing Christ. So what's the big idea? What do we do with all this information? How do we know Christ? Three questions for you this morning. First question is this. Do you know Jesus? Do you really know him? Are you familiar with him like a friend? Not just facts and information, but do you know him? If not, why not? Are you going to pursue him? Paul says, I've had lots of things. None of those things are valuable. I pursue Christ. Second question is this. What is God calling you to forget so that you might follow hard after him? What are the things that you need to forget? Is it, is it your pain? Is it your accomplishments? Is it your achievements? Is it your distractions? What, what is it that you need to forget so that you might follow hard after God? Third question is this. What does pursuing Jesus and following hard after him look like in this current season of life that you're in? And it might look like different things for different people. What does it look like for you? Hosea 6.3 says this. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. My prayer for Sanctuary Church as the band comes forward is that we may be a place known for a place where, where we press into Christ to know him. That when people think of Sanctuary Church, they would think that's the church that knows Jesus. That's the church that presses in to know him. So let us pour our hearts out before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. Would you guys pray with me? Dear Jesus Like Paul, we can only say one thing. We want to know you. We don't want to know information. We want to know you. Lord, lead us. Fill us with your spirit. Give us that impulse, the desire, and the power to do these things. And we ask this in your name. Amen.